Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting by Heart, looking at principles that we have found helpful in the first 10 years of parenting. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Good evening. We're in our fifth class of the parenting classes. We're going to start off with very brief uh, tape recordings. This first one is of Walt when he was just uh, two years old. This in Buenos Aires, a long time ago. Good, and now I want to play one other. This is uh, of someone in our church, their daughter. So this is uh, her version of the creed with her, with her dad. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker in heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born in the Virgin Mary, suffered, suffered under the country's death, was crucified in the The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and this on the earth, God the Father Almighty. From then He shall judge the wicked and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, and the unity of saints. Thank you very much, children. But it's just fascinating, isn't it, how much children can learn and something we'll talk about in our last session about uh, family devotions and it's wonderful to see children learn things from a young age. I remember sitting on my father's lap when I was about six and him having me memorize Psalm 19, 1 Corinthians 13, Psalm 100, and the Episcopalian Catechism. So anyway, but uh, we're going to start off tonight with uh, Wendy's going to cover a few of these questions so we can get through the questions and then we'll continue on with our notes. Wendy? Oh, let's break. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet together tonight. We pray that you guide us and bless us. We need your help. We need to... Have you pour your Father's love, your parental guidance into our hearts so that we can be more like you and that our children will have the blessing of getting to know you at an early age. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to do these questions because Henry's still got a lot to share. So, But I didn't want to, to not cover the questions. Some of the questions that you ask are real similar, so I'm not, you know, I'm just going to kind of lump those together. And I do want to remind you again of, like I said last week, every question, every child is unique. And so the answer we give is, is a pretty typical way to do if the child's just, you know, normal. But there are some <laughs> abnormal children. No, there are some special cases. And all of you should pray and ask God if this would work for your specific child. And when it doesn't, ask for wisdom and knowing which thing, and talk to other parents as well. 
This one says, how do you curb a four-year-old's constant talking and questioning without hurting their in inquisitiveness and their feeling validated? That's a very good question. I remember so vividly us going to visit friends once who had three to five-year-old, I don't know exactly how old he was, but he talked nonstop during the meal. And the parents had no time to talk, you know, and his parents just thought it was so cute, every little thing he said, and it is cute for a while, but, you know, you want to talk as adults. So what I would do, especially if someone else is there with you, is I would let them, you know, I'd say, okay, Johnny, you know, tell us about today or, or whatever. You know, we want you to share a little bit with us, and then it'll be our turn to talk and your turn to either be quiet and listen, or you can go to your room if you'd like. And so to make sure they know they have some time to talk, but then also that they have time to be quiet. I would even do that with my children. What I tried to do with the four of them, I always felt like daily I wanted each one to feel that they had special attention from me. So I would say to them, okay, let's talk. You know, I want to give you 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, but then Mama needs some time afterwards. I've got to study or I've got to read or I've got to cook, whatever it would be. But they'd know this is your special time. And then they wouldn't feel like they didn't have time, you know, when I was busy. It wasn't like, oh, you're always busy. You never have time for me. Oh, but I did. We just spent some great time together. And it also helped me because a mom always feels guilty. You know, we always feel like we don't give them enough time. And so it would help if I would specify it for me and for them. This says, is throwing something at the table rebellion? Uh, then underneath it says, we never explain not to throw it. Because, you know, we said that if you haven't said that it's a rule and they mess up, well, then, you know, you're only spanked for rebellion. So I would say throwing at the table the first time would not be rebellion. It seems from what they say after this that there, there was someone else visiting at the table. If there is someone at the table, I would take that three-year-old as soon as they threw it and just say, excuse me, we need to talk in the room for a minute, you know, to the company, and take them out and explain to them, it is a no-no to throw things at the table, and you will be disciplined, you will be spanked if you do that again. So now they know. So if they throw again, it is rebellion, and you kindly take them out and follow through. My son will not look us in the eyes more than a brief few seconds. You said this is rebellion. Is it always? No. First of all, it depends on how, a how old your son is. I mean, the smaller they are, you know, little kids can't look anywhere for very long, you know. Uh, you just kind of keep bringing them back to you. Because even when they're small, they need to start learning to do that because it makes a huge difference. If the child is not looking you in the eye, they haven't heard you as far as they're concerned. And so you've got to get them to look you in the eyes. So if they're little, that's harder to do. But as they grow up, they should do it. But there are specific cases of children who have difficulties. And they're one of the ones, I don't want to say abnormal, but a special case. And uh, we had some friends who had a son like that. And there were times where she would just have to hold her son and whisper in his ear because he'd also be physically rebellious, of, you know, with his arms throwing a fit and stuff. So she'd just wrap her arms around him and she would whisper in his ear. 
she wouldn't yell at him. She would talk to him gently. So there are other ways to figure out how to do it. But So I think you would know your child if it's a rebellious thing that he's not or if he has ADD or something where he really can't. I say that very, I don't like saying that because I think a lot of parents just say he's got ADD and, you know, it's just kind of everybody who's uh, outgoing and active has ADD and I, I don't agree with that. So uh, I would be careful with that one. This one is a very difficult one to answer and neither one of us has a good answer for it. What about handling bullies? What do you do? We had a very difficult time with our oldest son being bullied at school and we sent him to, was it judo lessons? And uh, he was five and we thought, Henry thought, well, he can just do one fast, you know, hit him once. All five-year-olds <laughs> in the class. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And uh, They just learned how to fall. <laughs> yeah, so he really, he, he talks about it now. It's hilarious to hear him talk about that judo lesson. But with another son who was bullied, we talked to him about prayer and the children learned. One of the things, Henry had, uh, and you may want to address this, honey, Henry had uh, problems with this when he was younger, and he, it made him, because he didn't do anything, it made him feel like a coward, right? And you don't want your... was a coward. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an insecurity and a self-image problem that you don't want your child to grow up feeling like a coward nor like a tattletale. So it is a very, very difficult thing. I, I know when Henry first saw Karate Kid 1, he cried. I mean, a grown adult, because he so identified with what was going on there. So maybe you would want Yeah, to. I brought the notes I typed out 15 years ago after having watched that movie. <clears throat> that is a very interesting, I mean, if your child is, say, seven or above, and usually any serious bullying incident usually is uh, more that age, to watch Karate Kid with them, even though it's kind of silly, but it, it, it just gives, the, the, almost the whole movie revolves around that topic and different ways of handling it. <clears throat> now, you may not think that any of those is the right way, but, but nevertheless, it kind of brings it up and it will relate in a feeling way to what your child is going through, particularly if it's a physical kind of a thing. And in the movie, I found it very interesting that the two ways of, of approaching it, <clears throat> one was through the, the bad guy, the bad trainer who would train everybody to be violent and brutal and uh, no mercy and all that. And then there's the, you know, the little old Japanese man that's going to help him and he gets him wax in his car, remember that, and painting up and down and, and all these things. And the, and the guy's wondering, what does that have to do? Wax on, wax off, huh? And he said, what does this have to do? And then he shows him how those same muscles and movements can be used in, uh, in defending yourself. And I found it very intriguing that the solution he proposed was to grow strong through servanthood rather than to uh, promote aggressiveness. And he said, you never look for a fight, you know. So it's very, but it's a very interesting treatment of bullying and something to interact with your child on. And it's also an opportunity because let's just suppose it doesn't happen until he's off at college. You're not going to be there to talk with him about it. So it's something that's in different ways happens in people's lives. And uh, most children, the bullying situation isn't life-threatening. Uh, and there are some extreme cases where it is. But in most cases, it's the biggest damage is what's happening on the inside, on the inner person, because it's very denigrating. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned it in this class, but in high school I had a guy that would, every morning would greet me, hitting, socking me in the arm. 
and I was too much of a, a wimp to do anything about it, and I'd just keep going, pretending like it hadn't hurt, and all the time it was hurting very badly. And, uh, and of course, the rest of the day I'd think of all the things I would do to him if I was up to it, and I wasn't, so I never did. But my arm is fine now. What was really hurting was what was going on inside me. It's so important to process that with the child and to share with them experiences you've had as a, as a parent, other situations you've known, and just to help them to understand that in the world we will have tribulation and look at the different ways of handling it. I mean, some may feel comfortable. My dad tried to get me out there learning how to box, you know, but some kids just aren't aggressive. They're never going to be aggressive, you know. I think one time I tried to defend myself and it went very poorly, you know. And uh, I thought, well, there goes that. You know, at least I gave it a try. But so there's not really a, an easy answer on some of these things. But just the fact that you take the time to talk with them about it, process it, and, and realize, try to cut the enemy off at the pass in terms of what's going on in their mind about who they are. That's kind of the biggest issue. We want to talk about how to begin late. Now, again, if your child is 40, I'm sorry, we're not, not quite that late. <laughs> But uh, let's just say, if your child is uh, less than 10 years old, but they're a lot more than 2 years old, a couple of suggestions. First, you should avoid laying down the law. You have operated with insufficient information up until this point, so you've, you've been well-intentioned but misinformed, perhaps. And so now you're, you're generating a change, and a change that restricts a child's freedom even more will always result temporarily and conflict and some negative attitudes. You just got to work your way through that. It's always easier to accept winning a million dollars and losing a million dollars. And it's easier to accept getting out of jail and it's harder to accept going into jail. And, and so when we restrict our child's freedom more to bring them in under control, their first reaction won't be, oh boy, I was waiting for you to do this. Uh, you made my day. And so how you do that is very important because again, you communicate through your spirit and through your attitude. And to sit down with them, as we talked about the other time, and explain to them, well, uh, we've learned some more things, and these will be good things. You may not like them right off the bat, but they will be good. And God has asked us to, to help you in this way. So we're going to work with you. I know it's going to be a little tough at the beginning, but, but we love you, and, and we're just trying to be obedient. And if you're obedient, we won't even need any of this anyway. So... To be very patient because, again, you are introducing a change. And also realize that there's a spiritual warfare going on, that the child is, they have a sin nature that they inherited from you. And they're torn a lot of times. And, and you just need to be persistent, not only in what you say to them and what you do with them, but also your prayers for them. And maybe at times, maybe in the, at the night, if you pray with them before bed, pray about those things with them out loud. So that they sense that you're in this battle with them. Now, if the child is between 10 and 17 years old, it's probably too late to begin physical discipline with the rod. One of the reasons for that is it's just the older a child gets, the less they, they're worried about a little stick hitting them. They've got guys beating up on them at school. I mean, you know, it's just football. Uh, girls are lacerating each other with their tongues. So... I mean, the girls would probably re react to it more than the guys, but it, it's just less and less helpful. And again, all we're looking for is the good effect in the child. You know, it's not uh, legalistic, it's got to be this way or that way. We're looking for what will promote their growth and their obedience the best. 
if there's a great relationship with the child and the child thinks, well, I think that would help, you know, <laughs> uh, you could try it. Uh, again, it's, it's important for us to remember that the easiest form of discipline and the one that is the most merciful is the rod. Why? The pain only lasts five to ten seconds. It, you go ahead and get over with. You don't drag it out and this go to your room for two hours. You can't go this weekend. Those are the those are the more painful disciplines for an older child. The nice thing about a couple of swats with the rod, the pain only lasts five to ten seconds, and so it's mercifully short. And then everything's fine again, uh, if properly handled. But at, at an older age, that's not this isn't going to be as effective. So, and second point is to make the most of the ch child's ability to reason, see what the child didn't have when they were two, as far as being able to understand things better. The older a child gets, the more you can appeal to their reason. And I spent the whole way driving one of my children to school today, reasoning with them about an attitude we'd seen this morning in terms of cleaning up their room and everything. Now, they were under control. I said, you, you know, you need to quit doing that and, and your room needs to be straight before you go off to school. And um, I know this person didn't have to walk that heavily through the kitchen. You know, I heard, boom, 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 boom. I realized, oh, we, we better talk about that. And so I talked to them about, God has put me over you to help you, to guide you. It won't be for that much longer. And I'm responsible to help you do what you ought to do. And you need to respond to my authority as though God himself had told you that because God has put me in authority over you in just the same way I have to respond to my authorities. This is something that's your whole life long. Someday you'll be older and you'll be married. There'll be an authority situation there. There will be an authority situation in your church, perhaps at your job, perhaps something related to the government. And so if, for you to learn now to respond to authority will be a very good thing. And I'm, I'm here to help you with that. And so... If you don't have time, getting up at the time you're getting up to clean your room and get ready in time, no problem. I'll keep waking you up 15 minutes earlier each day so that you'll have plenty of time to do everything that you need to do before you go to school. But you have to do the sewing, the explaining. Don't make your principal training fussing. Do the patient teaching at a moment when it's not all frazzled in the emotions. Uh, when, when the storm has died down, let's process this, let's talk about this, think, think of, build your case. They are able to reason in their teens in a way they never could in the first 10 years. But you've got to take the time to build your case and to say it nicely. Then you back it up with firmness, but you've, you've explained it. Because what's going on, see, is they've got a certain set of wrong thought processes. And that's why they're reacting like that, and that's why their attitude is like that. And if you just put pressure on them through discipline and restriction to conform anyway, but you don't deal with those wrong thought processes, you build a bitter child. So you, you're strong enough still to bend them, but you haven't changed the way the enemy has messed up the wiring up here. So every time you try to turn them and you, you finally force them to turn, the way they understand that is not they love me and they're just trying to help me. Uh, since the enemy has twisted that wiring around, the more you push, the more they interpret it as hatred. And that's why at times when it's not a disciplinary issue, you talk about it. Say, so I, I want us just to talk just a minute about what happened, because I know that was really hard for you. Do it in a nice way. Recognize their feelings 
as, as a person. And I'm thinking about you, praying for you. I know you're going to be great for the Lord someday. But we're having a tough time here. And I've been trying to think, you know, what, what was going on there? What's the dynamics? What was it that was particularly hard for you when we did that? Was this, this, and this? And, and process it. Draw them out. And then and try to rebuild the way the thought processes ought to be in their mind. I can't get into that too much. I probably said more than I should. But uh, the most urgent thing is to begin to change yourself. A law that applies to every living thing is that you reproduce after your own kind. The things you see in your child that you don't like may be to a large measure a pro some kind of a product of the way you and your spouse are. Maybe not a direct correlation, but when a child is 13, 14, 15, you've had a long time with them. So it's not just a genetic thing. There has been behavior modification, and a, to a large extent, what you're seeing manifested in your child uh, who knows what percentage, because they've also got other influences in their lives. But there's a lot there that's related to you. Now, on the one hand, you could say, oh, they, gee, that's not very encouraging. On the other hand, you could think, well, if I had that much of an influence on them up until now, maybe if I allow God to change the way I am now, and my spouse, and our relationship, maybe that will also have a great effect on them. And it will. So that's why the first person you want to see about changing in a parenting situation is, Lord, how do I need to change? What is it that my child is doing? Is there anything of that that I'm also doing? Am I somehow unconsciously sowing that in their life? They're impatient. Well, am I impatient? They just shoot off their mouth. Do I shoot off my mouth? They're discourteous. Am I discourteous? Always bring it back first. And it may not, may not relate, but sometimes it does. And any, any way they can see, well, mom and dad aren't perfect. They admit they're wrong sometimes. And they are working on changing. And you're sowing a teachable spirit. You're sowing humility. What you sow, you will reap. Fourth, the parent should never do for his child what he can do for himself. That's just a general goal that, that it's good to have. Because otherwise, you're always weakening them. It seems like, well, I'm just serving them. I'm just loving them. But... You know, I could go in and straighten up my child's room, and, I, and every, you know, nobody does anything 100%. So, I mean, there have been times I've done that. And, uh, well, I mean, one time I really straightened up the boys' room. They didn't know where anything had gone to. It was all in the attic in black bags. I got that from my dad one time when he cleaned up my brother's room. Never forgot that one. But to really, really work it, the different things, you know, some, some parents even train their children how to wash their own clothes and dry them far as doing the dishes, but, but just let them participate in the, in the household and the yard work and different things. Get them involved. There'll be more ownership on their part of the household and everything. And try to find a balance between liberty and responsibility. Really what we're trying to do at every level of parenting is imagine that you lived on top of a mountain. And on top of the mountain, it's flat and grassy. And all the way around on the edge, there's a cliff. There's a precipice. And now you, you're up there with your spouse, and you've had a baby, and he's starting to crawl. And you're thinking, well, there's all this nice green space that there's really not a problem. But on all of that edge out there, if he goes beyond that, we've lost him. And so what you do is you have a choice. You can either tie him up with duct tape so that he can't move. Well, and you would keep him from falling over the cliff, wouldn't you? But a better thing to do would just be to build a fence that would be adequate. So that anywhere in the green space, sounds like in Genesis, doesn't it? Of all the trees of the garden you may eat, 
but of one tree you may not eat. And so that's what we're trying to do with our children. We're not trying to rob them of all liberty, but we're trying to put a fence up until they learn enough about cliffs so that they know to stop without a fence. That they have an inner fence that's, that works. No one is born with inner fences. And so we set up, but if that fence is weak at a point, wobbly, if they can just push through it, then it's as though it weren't there. That's why the, the boundaries you've set up, you must reinforce, they must be firm, because they will all be tested. And, and to have some manner that, you know, we've talked about using physical discipline when they're small, just because that makes a firm fence. And they know they can count on that, and so they, they eventually will tend to leave it alone. But to try to find a, the balance between saying, you're at liberty in all of these things, but there are some things that we will, will require of you, and we'll help you uh, to make the right choice to do that. Well, one of the goals, of course, that we have in discipline is to find out how can we keep it to a minimum, because, frankly, nobody much likes this. How are we there? How to keep physical discipline to a minimum. And the two key words I put in are consistency and much love. Consistency and much love. One of the problems that we have as parents is that some days we're really up for this, we're into it, we have a clear goal, a vision, they present a situation of rebellion, you know, we're ready, we help them out with the physical discipline, we get restored and everything's fine again. But another day we're tired, maybe cranky, maybe distracted, maybe it's not going so well in the spouse relationship, just other factors floating around there. And now we've said, if you do that again, da-da-da-da-da, and then we forget it. And they think, aha, found a hole in the fence. So they'll make a mental note of that, you know. Around here there was a hole in the fence last time. Any, any inconsistency, watch this, any inconsistency prolongs the process of them being convinced that you mean business. And they start to play Russian roulette. They went click one time and nothing happened. They're going to go click again. And so it, it, to the degree you can steal yourself for that period of time, you and your husband, because you have to work together as a team, we're going to really work at being consistent. Now, nobody's 100% consistent, so that doesn't depend on 100% or anything. But that, at least that be your goal. That let's work, and you, and you can help each other. You know, back each other up. Now, every once in a while, one of you is going to be more gung-ho than the other. You know, just because of the nature of what was done or something like that. And one of you, your hair has just gone straight up. And you say, this is definitely a situation that we have here. And we're going to the bedroom. And the other one of you realizes, no, 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 something. Uh, either, you know, you're this mad for this kind of an offense. or so, But something's not going to go well here. At that point, you need some kind of a signal between each other to alert the other one without demonstrating before the child that y'all are in disagreement. Uh, in, in a worst-case scenario, Wendy would call me aside, oh, Henry, can I ask you something, just for a second? And I already knew what, you know, what the deal is, but the child doesn't know. And we never wanted to show to our child a disagreement in our relationship. Never discuss 
issues of discipline in front of your child. Present as much as you can a unified front. And also another way to keep physical discipline to the minimum is a, a whole lot of extra physical affection. When you raise the amount of physical discipline, if you don't at the same time increase the amount of physical affection, you create an imbalance. And you give the enemy an opportunity to say, see, they don't love you. Now they just, now they just spank you all the time. So you need to make a conscious effort. Whatever you used to do, as far as holding their hand or hugging or playing with them or wrestling or whatever, uh, for that period of time, just have in your mind, we've got to double it. Whatever it was, double it. Uh, I'm going to take them out for my ice I'm going to do all of these other things because otherwise the scales are going to tip because there will be more cases of discipline because we're being more faithful. So I have to find ways of also making them feel more special so that they will emotionally be able to keep a balance and realize, no, we're still okay. A couple of other thoughts. Make sure that a child's basic needs are met. Obviously, this is more when they're really small, but sometimes a child's maybe two, and you've kept them up kind of late, and now they are being cranky, and uh, after this course you're thinking they're being rebellious. Well, you just shouldn't and can't expect too much from a very, very tired little child. And so there'll be times when you're not going to make a big deal about it because you realize we've, we're in this situation because I kept him up. Uh, you could be in a, in a social situation, um, particularly like a church service or something like that, and, and you've got your child there. And because they're just two years old, they have their limits of how long they can sit still and not be a problem. And so to realize, have I asked too much of my child for the age they're at or whatever other condition they have, take that into account. Make sure you take time to talk with your child. As someone once said, children long for our attention. Now, they don't need our attention all the time, but they do need some quality attention sometimes. And if they don't get it, they will act up. They'll do anything. They'd much rather be, be bad and be spanked and at least have your attention for that amount of time. So if you want to keep physical discipline to a minimum, make sure you give them good attention without them having to be disobedient. Now, this I don't think this is much of a problem maybe in our culture, but in Latin America, it seems like for the children, that's the only time they really get much attention is when they act up. So, again, just touch them and increase your physical affection so that they know that, you, you know, you don't just touch them when you're going to spank them or something, but you have times when you're, you show them that you care, you like to be with them. Now, this is a point I need to explain. I have prophesy in quotes over them. But what this means is, is to say positive things about your children. Some of you grew up in homes where, because they weren't sure exactly how to discipline you, Part of their discipline was verbal abuse. And they would say things about you, about your intellect, about your character, uh, about your abilities that constantly tore you down. And their words are burned in your mind to this very day. Now, Wendy had an example of the opposite. She always remembers her mom sitting on the end of her bed and looking at Wendy and she says, Wendy, now I don't know how old Wendy was, but I think maybe eight or, you know, pretty young. And she would always say, this was something she often said, I, I've always believed that God is going to use your life someday to do great things. Now I call that prophesying over your child. And the funny thing is, 
whatever your parents say about you, you tend to become. It doesn't have to be. I mean, you're not condemned to that if your father said you were bad or dumb or something. You, you, can, you can work against that, but you're swimming upstream and you know it. It's tough. And God has made me, maybe made you strong to be able to do that. But why put a stumbling block out there for your child? You've seen what it, what it has done to you. And it never helped you be better. It just tore you down. So, be careful the way you express yourself to your child when they're being bad, and particularly when they're being very bad over a long period of time, because it gets kind of discouraging. And you're thinking, why are you so bad? You're thinking, why can't you be like your brother? But don't say it. That's acid, that's poison into the soul of your child. And to say things like that instead of using the rod, which will only hurt 10 seconds, uh, really is a poor choice, in my opinion. And so what we would say is things like this. Instead of saying, you're such a pain, say, I know that one day you will become a great man of God. At times you misbehave, but so do I. We're sinners. Thank goodness we have Jesus who can help us overcome temptation. Now listen, that little child struggles with temptation just like you do. And for different reasons, they go through periods of time where it's a harder thing and they lose more often, just like you do. And you need to relate to your child as a sinner and, and, and say, I know this is hard and I, I, you know, I can see you're, you're struggling with it. Or I'm assuming you're struggling with it. It doesn't look like it. But, I'm, and, uh, but I know God is going to help you. Why don't we pray? That God would help you just like He's helped me at different times. But come alongside them. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who will come alongside you. And at that point, even as, as your child is really demonstrating their sinfulness, to come alongside them and do that teaching. Even when they're very little, they understand very clearly what temptation is, what sin is. They know what a guilty conscience feels like. And they can know what it feels like to really be forgiven. Now, you are sort of in the place of God in their little mind. And so when you lead them through that process of them saying, I'm sorry, and then you say, look me in the eyes, I forgive you, and I love you. And even if you do this ten more times, I will still always love you. But when you choose to do this, I've got to help you this way. So, enough on that. Prophesying over them. And fifth, admit your own mistakes. And when necessary, ask your child's forgiveness when you fail him. One of the things we say is, if you have difficulty and find yourself often yelling at your children, raising your voice, it's a, it's a common thing that can happen. But once you've understood that I shouldn't do that, then when that does happen, you go back to your child later and you admit, I, I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm sorry. And uh, as one child told his mother one time, well, that's okay, we, we all make mistakes. But the one time that Wendy yelled at the children, uh, they still remember it. Now it's kind of a joke, you know, because, uh, you know, it just happened that one time. But it burned in their mind. They were sitting in the bathtub. Wendy will kill me for telling you this, but anyway, it could happen to any of us. I threw the dog against the tree one time. So, I mean, we all have our moments, but... Uh, <laughs> I know, he kept getting, the dog kept getting in the car, and I kept pulling it out, and I finally just, anyway, 
the family never let me forget that. I went over and, and, and Walt said, yep, Dad, but you're the only person that I've ever seen apologize to a dog. So, <laughs> so we even would do this with the dog. But um, the, Walt and Thomas and Annie were sitting in the bathtub. The door was closed. They didn't know that Wendy was on the phone. And so they began calling for Mommy. And they all got into it, chanting, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And they were thinking, Mom's going to just come in and be so happy that we're here. And, and we just want to see her, you know. And she kept yelling to them, I'm coming, I'm, I'm on the phone, I'm coming. But they couldn't hear her because they were yelling in the back, Mommy, Mommy. And she said, I'm coming, I'm coming, Mommy, Mommy. So finally she puts down the phone, goes and slams the door open and goes, Ah! And the kids look like the Three Stooges with their hair blown back, you know. <laughs> Dead silence. So, anyway, poor Wendy. She's never lived that one down. But, but the point was, since Wendy never yelled, the one time she did, it made an indelible impression. But that would be the kind of thing. Uh, you know, when you have told the children, I'm going to do, do it this way, and you don't, it's not the end of the world. But you'll only compound the difficulty if you gloss over it as though it's okay for you to make rules and break them. And so you go back. Just to add to that, admitting your mistakes, hooking back to something you said before, if somebody is being disciplined, maybe um, unjustly, mm -hmm. and one spouse, and we were at a friend's house a long time ago at somebody else's house, and one, child, one of our sons pushed another son off the dock in the middle of the winter into the lake. And they couldn't swim, and it was a real serious offense. But the person that did this offense was not the person that got spanked. And so mm -hmm. basically, somebody, one of our children got a really bad spanking by their dad for something that they didn't right. do. Yeah. And I couldn't intervene prior, but knowing all the time, and I had to just bite my lip because I couldn't go into the situation yeah. once it had already started and say, you can't do this, yeah. and undermine him. Mm -hmm. But knowing the whole time, as injustice it was, he would go back and say he was sorry and yeah. feel really badly yeah. and apologize to the son that received the spanking undeservedly. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's so important to realize what's really communicating and making an indelible impression on your child is not so much what you do with your hand, but what's coming out of your spirit. And that's why... To discipline, to make the rule for yourself, I won't discipline when I'm in a rage. You know, you may not be tranquil, tranquil, but uh, at least you're not in the red light, you know, a peak of zone of, um, of anger and of rage. What fruit can we expect from physical discipline? First, it's an incentive to not sin. I think if I do this, this is going to happen. That, but that's why you need to be consistent on it, because they say, if I do this, maybe... I'll be disciplined. Second, it's to establish the authority of the parents. The children need that. It's only temporary. You won't be their authorities forever. But for a period of time, until they develop an inner fence, an inner control, they need uh, that check on them to set those fences for them. And that authority is good. It's for their good. And you, it's a delegated authority. It's not because you're the big cheese or just because you're so important or you get to do anything you want to. No, you're also under authority, and that's also for your good. Third, the child feels more secure and loved when they're properly disciplined. Fourth, the child comes to understand better his heavenly Father, how God is both merciful and he is just. 
And uh, he says, what you sow, you will reap. And also how we lead the child to be reconciled with us. Is the same. We're, we're patterning it on how God has taught us to come back to him when we've gone astray. Fifth, it purifies the soul of your child. Using, using some kind of physical discipline is not enough. It's the first step, but then it's that process that we've already talked about where they admit what they've done wrong, where you look them in the eyes and you declare them forgiven, and then you bring them back into fellowship by some show of affection of a, well, give me a kiss, give me a hug, where they choose to come back into fellowship with you, and then maybe you play some or do something together, but where you really work at repairing the breach in the relationship. And afterwards, you know how that child feels? They feel like they got saved, like they were born again. A child that, where that's never really dealt with, the guilt just grows and grows and grows. They feel like I'm getting estranged from my parents. They're disappointed in me. They don't love me. Uh, I'm just so bad. You may have felt as a child at certain points, I am just so bad. And see, we don't want our children to walk around feeling that way. We're all bad, in a sense. We're all sinners. But we have a Savior. And we want to lead our children day by day through that process so that they would also have the joy of salvation. Not only eternally and in heaven, but salvation in the family. And they would feel like, well, yeah, sometimes I mess up, but, you know, we end up, it ends up being okay. And we get those things straightened out. And sixth, complete and unconditional restoration of fellowship with God and with his parents. Because when your child is out of fellowship with you over an authority issue, he's out of fellowship with God. He's not in the way of blessing. And so this is your way of bringing them back onto the path of blessing uh, so that God can be everything he wants to in their lives. Let's look just a little bit at this negative training by default. Although it's somewhat uncomfortable. When parents simply do nothing, the child is trained to think that whatever he wants to do is all right. You're always training your child. We're not starting with child training now. You, if you have a child, you've already been training them. If you don't like the results, well, you need to change the way you're training them. The first way of negative training is just by ignoring it. You've said something, but then they are doing it, or they won't stop doing it, and you just, you know, everyone else in the room realizes, hey, they told them not to do that, and they're doing it. And the parent is just kind of, you know, looking the other way and just not wanting to address this situation. And so by doing that, you're training the child that uh, you're just all talk. The second is uh, by hypocrisy, that you tell the child you need to be polite, and yet you're not polite. You need to be self-controlled, but you're not self-controlled. You shouldn't be impatient, but you're impatient. So by uh, enforcing things, being stricter on them than you are on yourself, also is negative training. Negligence. That's when parents don't even enforce the standards that they do live by. Maybe the, the parent is courteous, but they don't guide and push the child to be courteous. They just kind of let it go while they're just being children. Well, nope. There are things that relate to being children, but uh, discourtesy isn't one of them. We had a problem with when the children were real little that they, when like one year old, they loved to slap people. You know, in Argentina, you greet with a kiss, so you, the person's face gets kind of close there, you know. And so, you know, we'd bring the baby in for them to kiss whoever it was and go, pow, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we would, uh, we got to where we would talk with them before we ever got to the person, just to try to 
head this thing off the pass. Now, we're going to be greeting so-and-so, and you remember last time you slapped him. Well, that's a no, big no, and we'll have to discipline you if you do that. So we're going to practice now how you're going to greet that person. So we would practice, and I'd give them a kiss and everything. And, and uh, so is that what you're going to do? Mm-hmm, yeah. And usually that worked. But to teach them and to not be negligent, to not just let it slide. There are things that they can learn and should learn even at a young age. And fourth, inappropriate delegation. Well, let their older brother lead them in this situation. You, you need to be careful who you delegate that authority to in terms of uh, babysitting situations and things like that. There's more details on that in the notes. But... And finally, overt negative training. Repetition means that um, instead of going ahead and disciplining them when you see them being rebellious, you say, don't do that. I told you not to do that. Didn't I just tell you not to do that? I told you not to do that. And what are they learning? You're all talk. And talk doesn't hurt. In fact, I can kind of strut my stuff, you know. You'll just keep talking and everyone can see who's in control of this situation. So, uh, repetition isn't working, so you raise your voice. Lower your tone. You say, or else. And yet you don't back it up with anything. You're still all talk, but now uh, threats that aren't carried out. I'm going to send you to your room for the next year. You won't go with us on the vacation this year. It's all stuff that's just all air, hot air and lies. So they learn that. Permissiveness, you just let it slide. Again, it's sort of like the negligence thing. All of this is training the child that they really are in control and you're not. You're training them to ignore your instructions when you do this. This is not their problem. This is your problem. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be more like you. Thank you for the scriptures and thank you for your loving discipline. Thank you that you believe in us and that you prophesied wonderful things about us to be your princes and your priests forever. And we give you the praise and the glory and, and plead for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.